Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. Lutheran, conservative, classical. A college for Lutherans. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured, that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. What is Luther Classical College? Why is Luther Classical College needed? Why are classical Lutheran high schools needed? Welcome back for part two of our discussion with Reverend Robert Paul regarding Luther Classical College. Both of us are involved with and serve Lutheran high schools. The young people that that I am seeing at Wittenberg Academy, they want this. They they want to know that the convictions that they hold about putting family above wealth and fortune, you know, that all of these things that that matters and they they are they are wanting to hear that those right now in authority support that and are in agreement about that. And I think that parents, you know, our generation, even if we didn't get that ourselves, that we are recognizing that good enough isn't good enough and we want better for our children. So all of this is is very exciting. In light of our discussion of Luther Classical College, why are high schools, such as the ones we serve, why are they vitally important? Well, first of all, Lutheran schools often are kindergarten through eighth grade, and this is frustrating um, because Education, as we know it in America, goes through 12th grade and then for many people goes to college. Um, And one thing we haven't discussed is the necessity of college, right? LCC isn't looking to be the only college for anyone. There are plenty of students who probably don't need to go to college. Um, But if they do, we want to have the, if they want to go to college, we want to have the right place for them to go. But high schools, there there are many fewer Lutheran high schools than there are Lutheran grade schools. Um, in some cities, this was just because they associated into one or two high schools. And in others, people thought that the government school or maybe another Christian school was a viable option. And so they didn't push past eighth grade. And this is unfortunate because uh, tying into the so-called finding yourself, you leave kids off at 13 or 14 and and they've just entered into one of the most difficult times of figuring out uh, where they stand, right? High school is where lots of people already turn into communists. <laughs> right. Uh, they, when, when they, they, they really want to stand by something and, and how, how dare we abandon our children during those years to be in a place where, where no one really cares whether or not they're a communist, uh, or, or this or that, um, we need to have Lutheran high schools 
that are rooted in Western civilization, because most of our Lutheran high schools are not. And we don't really have very many classical ones. There's yours. We're in our second year of adding high school at Memorial. We have 10th graders uh, now, and we'll have 11th next year. There's Faith Plano. Mount Hope in Casper has high school students. Um, and uh, Emmanuel Roswell has had some. I don't know if they've finished the program yet, but there, there's here and there. We're adding the high school grades and parents should be more willing. I understand why they're not. It takes a lot of uh, sort of selling to get parents in to understand why a classical Lutheran high school is better, even if it's not all the things that quote unquote high school is supposed to be. Um, those four years are very, very important. Almost more important than, than college because they set you up for where you will go, what you will desire, um, what your appetites will be um, directed towards. And so those the, that 14 to 18 time span for our children needs to be cultivated the right way. When we have our kindergarten through eighth grade schools, we do so much prepping, so much priming of the pump. They get so much Latin, so much grammar, so much history and literature and theology and philosophy, and then, and then we send them somewhere else. Uh, the more that we can cultivate, as we're working to cultivate higher ed now, the more that we can cultivate uh, classical Lutheran high schools, expansions of our eighth grade program, encouraging uh, congregations and families that um, even though you may get to have the football team and the marching band, uh, if you go to another school, that the treasure of the gospel and of good friendship and conversation that comes from studying the best things is really more valuable. Now, we don't ignore the experience in city schools like ours at Houston, we work pretty hard to make sure that there's an experience that is a, that is consonant with what we teach. So theater uh, is something we've uh, become involved in. We have a pretty strong music program at our school. Uh, we do have sports. We in I inherited them. The school's had them for years. And so we try to make all of those things reflect the classical Lutheran culture. But it it, it is high time for us to continue to push for our grade schools to continue to high school and for those who are starting schools to start high schools. Uh, before we got on together, we were talking about Pastor Boyle and his, he right now in Wichita is working very hard um, to start a classical Lutheran high school. Um, to have more of those popping up in places throughout, I know another example of a friend of mine who's trying to start one in, in the Milwaukee area. Um, to provide a good one, a launch pad for students who wish to go to Luther Classical College. It's a place for them to learn Latin, uh, to learn to love Western Civ and Lutheran theology if they don't love it already, uh, but also a, a good place to guard and protect those young people as they enter a very interesting four-year period uh, where, where they need the guidance of fathers, mothers, mentors, teachers, pastors, uh, to maneuver through all of the different emotions, thoughts, debates that tend to monopolize that time period of one's life. Uh, it's much better that we, we have institutions where we can guard and guide them 
as opposed to sort of, you know, gambling. It's almost as if we get to eighth grade and we say, well, that's good enough. And we think about the child as he grows in wisdom and knowledge and the dictate that scripture gives us in terms of educating, teaching children. There's nothing that says, well, eighth grade is good enough. You know, uh, our, our friend Dr. Hine used to give this illustration about uh, confirmation being the Palm Sunday massacre. They line them up in white robes and shoot them with a camera, and then you never see them again. And and I think that that what young people are are missing when they don't have the opportunity for this continued cultivation and nurturing as they enter into what we call now the high school years, that with that, with that lack of nurturing, that we see a loss in terms of... uh, and and I don't want to look at it as 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 potential versus non-potential, but thinking about when you get to high school, this is when it gets really fun. You know, this is when they're they're really wrestling with some big things and they're taking all of that knowledge that they amassed during their elementary years, and now they get to play with it and work with it and own it in terms of what do they believe, teach, and confess, and having around them the support of that continued immersion in the best things, as you had mentioned before, having that all together is really powerful in terms of cultivating the young people as they head out in the world and as they not just are the future of the church, but are the church now. And I think that sometimes we sell our young people short. It's, it's like we, we, we plant them, and we nurture them, and we water them, and then we, we harvest them uh, before they're full grown. And, and, and maybe that's a really bad illustration, but I think that when we cut them off at eighth grade, we haven't given them those high school years where they they really have the opportunity to grow not only in their faith, but also in their opportunity to be formed as those who love and serve those around them. I'm not sure how much of that you heard. <laughs> <laughs> were you was I gone for you for a while? You you were gone for about a minute. Okay. All right. So um, yeah, so basically I was just rambling about the fact that uh you know when um when we cut it off at 8th grade, 
Um, yes. We're, we're, did you hear my stuff on that too? <clears throat> I, I did. Uh, yeah, I did prior to that. So I was kind of responding to that. And yes. that's what I thought you were doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that, that when we, when we cut it off at eighth grade, we've, we've lost that opportunity to really, you know, this is really when things are getting fun. Um, yes. Do you, do you have any uh, thoughts on that just in terms of um, kind of just going deeper or have you, have you exhausted what, what you wanted to say? Either is fine. I, I think I'm okay. I think with, my diatribe and then yours following, I think we cover all the concerns as to why we need more high schools. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the, the traditional quote unquote high school experience that we so many times hold up, maybe we need to rethink the quote unquote high school experience. I mean, I saw this a lot over the last couple of years, just in terms of when, when schools shut down, when, when programs were taken away, all of these things, no one was lamenting or very few people were lamenting the loss of academic integrity and academic, uh, robustness. Uh, what they were, what they were sad about missing was prom and football and basketball. And, and, and I think that perhaps that could be a wake up call for us. It, It was very revealing. If that is what we're missing, then what is it that we are considering to be high school? Yeah, it's, I mean, the experience, on the one hand, is something we want to cultivate, whatever that experience is. Right? Those, those memories drive, drive students back and drive families back to our schools, on the one hand. So we don't want to say, well, we're teaching them all the right things, and we go to chapel every day, and that needs to be enough. Um, there's, there's more. God, God gives us many things in, in our world to enjoy as a part of creation to know as a part of creation uh, in addition to what is necessary. Uh, But all the government students and families, and certainly most of the private students and families, they all sort of have made gods out of the experience, right? So all they want is their bread and circuses, so to speak. Uh, And I think the more students that we're able to teach and families that we're able to talk to that either have realized or can realize that that's just not really worth it. I mean, I, I grew up in a government school system on Long Island, very nice suburban school district. My grandparents went there. My parents went there. Um, and by all earthly standards, it was a fine education. Uh, but I don't really know that I would even want my children to have that kind of an education, um, mostly because of the experience and of the culture, the things that um, I have. I have a, a nephew um, on on Long Island who was just telling me that he he gets a choice in his school district of which high school he wants to go to, and he 
in his own words, he could go to the vape school or the drug school. Um, that's all he really knows about the schools is that their reputation with regards to drug usage. Um, and I think that as schools continue to to turn into those sorts of dens of uh, all sorts of terrible things, we have an opportunity to reach out to to not only our Lutherans, but to those around us in our local communities and tell them and show them what what can actually be done at school, what what actually is handed over in an environment that is formed by the gospel of Christ Jesus and the treasures of Western civilization, that our schools are known for other things than drugs um, and other things than football and prom. They can certainly have, Faith Plano has a very rich dance culture and also uh, has a pretty strong uh, touring choir, which is great to listen to. Very well done. Um, there, there are ways in which we can have the experience that naturally flows from our convictions without making the experience the God that we worship for our children's sake. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, again, you know, going back to the beginning of our conversation, in all of these things, we're, we're not trying to create a utopia. You know, we're not trying to, uh, you know, take our scholars out of the world. We're not trying to say that these experiences are bad. We just need to keep them in their proper place and with their proper uh, emphasis in that regard. As we think about Luther Classical College, as we think about the scholars and the families who might be interested in Luther Classical College, and even the the families that say, oh man, I wish this had been here when my children were growing up and could have gone to Luther Classical College. In the coming months and years, we look forward to hearing much more as the regents continue their good work, as things come together. If our listeners want to get involved between now and 2025, what do you suggest? First, they should go to the website, which is lutherclassical.org, if they haven't already. And there they can access our magazine, Christian Culture, which is now uh, both digital and in print. The second issue comes out in August. And they can also see the different ways that they can get their congregation involved in supporting the college. The first round of support that we're trying to develop for our school is to develop congregational support, to have supporting congregations. So there is information there about how um, listeners can encourage their uh, chairman of their congregations, their voters' assemblies, their pastors to make their congregation a supporting congregation of Luther Classical College. Um, like all things, uh, our, our college needs monies, um, different funds in order to work on the building of the campus, the recruitment of the students and of the professors, the establishment of the institution. Um, all of these things are, are necessary. And as we are starting, congregations uh, are the main source that we are looking to since our, our 
college exists to serve the congregations. It exists to serve the church. And so that's the first thing. Go to the website, find more out about uh, what our college stands for, what it means for our children, for our grandchildren, for our congregations, uh, and then look into how you can uh, convince your congregation to support the work of the college as uh, the next few years, of course, are critical in getting the name out there, the goal out there, and bringing in funds to to establish the school uh, beyond the Board of Regents uh, into the, the buildings, the infrastructure, the student and faculty recruitment uh, that is necessary to open the doors in 25. Reverend Robert Paul serves Memorial Lutheran Church and School and Luther Classical College. Pastor Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jocelyn. It's been a lot of fun. worth repeating for episode 60 is marriage. Marriage is an interesting word and a good example of why discernment is important when it comes to dictionary usage. We'll get back to dictionaries in a moment. A good percentage of you listening to this episode, when I ask the question, what is marriage, will immediately jump to a pop culture reference, right? Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Despite my poor attempt to imitate the priest in the movie The Princess Bride, you can hear him. You can also hear Prince Humperdinck just a few lines later, as the noise of scuffling outside grows louder, insist that the priest skip to the man and wife part. Man and wife! Say man and wife! While we all have a good chuckle remembering our favorite parts of this iconic movie, that Humperdinck insists that the declaration of man and wife is essential to marriage should pique our interest. For most of history, it was unquestioned that marriage was between a man and a woman. There were certainly relationships outside God's order of creation throughout history, we read of them in the account of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible, for example, and among the ancient Greeks and Romans in various ancient works. Yet, never were these immoral relationships referred to as marriage. Dictionaries, you may or may not know, reflect common usage. In other words, they reflect society. So, let's start with the 1959 collegiate edition of Webster's New World Dictionary. In it, marriage is defined thus, the state of being married, relation between husband and wife, end quote. Further on, it says, quote, marriage refers to the state of or relation between a man and woman who have become husband and wife or to the ceremony marking this union, end quote. So Webster's Dictionary in 1959 isn't too bad, right? As is our custom, 
Let's now go back to Webster's 1828 dictionary. There, marriage is defined thus, quote, the act of uniting a man and woman for life, wedlock, the legal union of a man and woman for life. Marriage is a contract, both civil and religious, by which the parties engage to live together in mutual affection and fidelity till death shall separate them. Marriage was instituted by God himself for the purpose of preventing the promiscuous intercourse of the sexes, for promoting domestic felicity, and for securing the maintenance and education of children. End quote. That seems pretty clear, right? While 1959 still aligns with what we know the Bible to say, that marriage is between one man and one woman, the differences between 1828 and 1959, though they may be subtle, reveal a departure from the, this is what God says, so we say the same, understanding of marriage. This departure becomes even more evident when we look up marriage in the New Oxford American Dictionary. Quote, the legally or formally recognized union of two people as partners in a personal relationship. Parenthesis, historically, and in some jurisdictions, specifically a union between a man and a woman. Parenthesis, end quote. Historically, a union between a man and a woman. The significance of this statement hopefully hits you like a ton of bricks and alerts you to the fact that not all dictionaries are created equal and we should caution our children in the use of words. A word like marriage should only and ever be used to refer to the union of one man and one woman. If you are referring to anything else, use a different word because marriage can't be used for anything but the union of one man and one woman. The book worth reading for episode 60 is actually an essay that comes from In Defense of Tradition, Collected Shorter Writings of Richard M. Weaver, and this essay is entitled, To Write the Truth. And it comes from the section on education. This essay examines the purpose of writing, and specifically the purpose of writing in the college curriculum. But the thing that caught my eye from this essay, thinking about the rest of our discussion and specifically our word worth repeating for episode 60, was a paragraph that states thus. Now every teacher is for his students an Adam. Adam meaning the first man. They come to him trusting in his power to bestow the right names on things. 
And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. The naming of the beasts and the fowls was one of the most important steps in creation. Adam helped to order the universe when he dealt out these names. And let us not overlook what is implied in the assertion that the names stuck. There is the intimation of divine approval, which would frown upon capricious change. A name is not just an accident, neither is it a convention which can be repealed by majority vote at the next meeting. Once a thing has been given a name, it appears to have a certain autonomous right to that name, so that it could not be changed without imperiling the foundations of the world. So far, Richard Weaver. Now, every teacher is, for his students, an Adam. They come to him trusting in his power to bestow the right names on things. When we think about the fourth commandment, we know that authority, as given to parents and as given to pastors, and as given to teachers, all of these an extension from the authority given by God to parents to teach children, we know that that authority bears weight, and it bears weight because God has given it to man for the good of children, for the order of society, it is a gift. And so it is good, right, and salutary that children should come to their teacher, come to their parents, come to their pastor, trusting in their power to bestow the right names on things. And I would contend that this extends not just to parents and pastors and teachers, but it also extends to curricula. There is much talk, many words have been written, much ink has been spilled regarding various curricula that have popped up in recent years from various organizations with various agendas. And as we think about all of these various agendas, what should become very apparent is that education is not neutral. And that there is necessarily a trust that has been given to teachers. And this trust involves knowing what is being taught and the agenda behind what is being taught because curricula, just as teachers, 
curricula is not neutral. It has a worldview. It has an agenda. Now, we might agree with a worldview or an agenda, or we might disagree with a worldview or an agenda, but to think that these things are neutral is to bury our heads in the sand. They come to him trusting in his power to bestow the right names on things. This is our charge, isn't it? As parents and as an extension from parents, teachers and pastors, this, this is our charge. To call things rightly, to give our children the words, the language, the understanding of their world, that they might rightly love and serve their neighbor, and that they may endure unto eternal life in heaven. Calling things rightly matters. Words matter. Let's call the things what they are for the sake of our children because we are their Adam. Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on the Wittenberg Hour.